His word is so good. Amen. His word is so good. Well, um, we're talking about the Easter experience, and we, we began this last week. This is going to take us right up to Easter Sunday. Uh, spring is on Monday, the first day of spring, and I think it's going to be freezing that morning. So the weather's not quite sure that it's spring, but it will be spring. I'm thankful for the sunshine. Praise God for that. Uh, but we're leading up to the resurrection Man, that's what our Christian faith was, was built on, right? The, the cross, the death of Jesus, the burial, the resurrection, now seated at the right hand of the Father, praying for us. And so we'll be leading up to that. In this, um, we're talking about how what if happened back then over 2,000 years ago, what if it changes everything now? And of course, we know that it does. Uh, you've, you've experienced life change if you've given your life to Jesus. And what we're doing is we're picturing trying to picture the viewpoint of Jesus on the cross, if we can. What, what could he have possibly seen? You know, he's there on the cross, and he looks down and probably can see the nail going through his feet. You know, just a horrible sight, right? Just in his hands. And, but he also sees soldiers who are gambling for his clothes. We talked about that last week, and just they were so indifferent. They were so familiar with this whole death process that... They were just indifferent, and, and we see that today. What will you do with Jesus? Well, some folks are just indifferent to him. This week, we're going to talk about other people that he saw, maybe even leading up to the cross, uh, but they just, you know what? They despised and rejected him, a majority of the people despised and rejected him. We see that today, don't we? We're going to look at today how people do despise and, and reject him, and then we'll take the following weeks to talk about other people that he saw uh, there at the cross. So each week, though, go ahead and turn to Matthew 27 if you want to. We'll be there in just a few moments. But Matthew 27 is where we'll be taking a majority of our text from. Each week, we will be asked uh, to resolve a question each week. What will you do with Jesus? We know what the Roman soldiers did. We saw that last week. They, they were so familiar. They were so indifferent. They had prejudice against the Jews that they just, you know, that's what they did with Jesus. They just didn't know. Uh, rejected. Well, rejection hurts. If I were to ask a question today, have you ever faced rejection? I'm sure every single hand in this room uh, would go up. We've, we've, re we've faced rejection probably on different levels, though. We haven't all faced the same types of, of rejection. Um, maybe in school you were the last one to be chosen to be on a team or even at work. You know, you have teams at work and you're the last one to be chosen. Overlook for a promotion, face divorce, you've been fired. Uh, something as simple as not being invited to a party. Again, we're all at different levels on what. Maybe, maybe you're just rejected on so many different levels. You know what I'm talking about. We've, we've faced that. Rejection hurts mentally just as bad as physical beating sometimes. You know the expression where you feel like you've just been punched in the gut? when you really haven't been punched in the gut, but it just, it just, it feels like that. Just insides are all, you just feel like you've been punched in the gut. Isaiah predicted that the Messiah, or Jesus, would be rejected by men. This is our memory verse this week, and uh, leading up to Easter, you know, it's, um, it's not a it's not one of the feel-good memory verses, but let's read this one together. And this is, our, this is our Jesus. It says this. Read it with me. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Did you notice how Isaiah wrote that? We. 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 
And I believe that a lot of that is even referring to modern day times as well. He says, we, all of them collectively, but before we came to Jesus, this was us. We rejected him. And um, so we're talking about rejection today. Jesus faced that. The Roman soldiers, now today, the people are rejecting Jesus. Matthew 27 tells the story of how the people rejected. The Jews had brought charges to Jesus. And so Pilate, who is governor at that time, he's trying to figure out um, what he's supposed to do with, you know, I mean, he's not Jewish himself. I don't think, yeah, he's not Jewish himself. And he's trying to figure out, what am I supposed to do with this guy that you've brought to me? I don't, I don't even know. You're basing this all on your Jewish law. So verse 20 is where we're going to pick up here in Matthew chapter 27. And we'll go through verse 23. It says, Meanwhile, the leading priest and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, Which of these two do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted back, Barabbas. Pilate responded, Then what should I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? They shouted back, Crucify him. But why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. So here's this guy, Barabbas, and you know, it's a kind of a cool name, I guess, if you think about Barabbas, unless you've grown up knowing about who he is, then you think, man, what a criminal. He was, he was the one who instigated riots. He led mobs, all these things. He was a criminal. He was in jail. He was, you know, for some of the things that he had done. And the crowd wanted to release a criminal, wanted a criminal to be released to them, basically back into society. And they wanted Jesus to put to be put to death. Why? Because the leaders claimed to be the Son of God. Was Jesus the Son of God? Yes, He was. But He was rejected, and Isaiah talked about that. So here's the mob. They're, 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 they're crying out even louder, crucify Him. See, Pilate had the ability to make the decision that he knew was right, which was to release Jesus. But he looked to the crowd to find what the majority of the people wanted in this instance. And how was this crowd influenced? By the leaders, the religious leaders. They are the ones who stirred up the crowd to say this. Um, there is extreme value in the majority when they are all praying and seeking God above self. There's extreme value. Why do I love our church family here at Abundant Life? Because I know that when we are called together to pray about something, that, that you pray. And we're hearing the voice of God. And in that moment, man, there can be great value. There can be amazing unity. And we're moving forward into the things that God has. But without prayer, what could happen? Without prayer, all of a sudden we're making decisions in the flesh and like and thinking, you know, what about this? What about that? And so, by the way, I'm taking this moment to step off. This is my timeout corner, timeout in the middle of a sermon. I figure that's what that is. Um, but I need you to pray. We are facing some amazing opportunity. Look at the past couple of years, the growth, the moving to two services, bringing uh, Luke on, and and you know, just some of. The, I don't I don't know what God is up to particularly. But, um, you know, there's the potential there that we're saying, God, where are you leading abundant life? You know, we're looking at the age of our facility. We're looking at the, the constriction on some of our, the places of facility that we can't really use uh, fully. And so we're saying, God, what do we do? We're starting to explore, Lord, do we, do we tear down and build? Do we buy land and build? Do we relocate? I need you to pray. This is not going to be a quick decision, but I just need you to pray. God, what are you doing? I want to hear the heart of God in all of this. And here's what I know. Just now let's bring it back here. 
There's extreme value in the majority when they are all praying and seeking God above self. Let's go back here. However, the majority opinion may be a popular the majority opinion may be a popular way to determine truth, but it certainly isn't always reliable, as we were saying, when people aren't praying. Because here's the thing that we know about world history and U.S. history. The majority once approved slavery. Today, there's still slavery, by the way, even here in the United States. Not the way that we knew it necessarily. There's still slavery today. The majority in a certain group once supported Hitler. Those things are very serious, aren't they? Now, there are some things that maybe aren't... How many, part, how many of you were a part of that generation? Big hair and parachute pants. I hear you're Richie. I didn't realize. Yeah. Did you have parachute pants? I did too, man. I did too. I mean, they had the zippers. The zippers were everywhere. Mine were pleather. I hate to admit it. I mean, I went all out. I went all out. You know, because I grew up poor, right? You guys remember that. So I couldn't afford the real leather ones. They were, they were pleather. Why was the majority thinking that was even cool? <laughs> it was. So the majority isn't always a reliable thing. And that can be serious things or not serious things. So let me ask you this. Why did the people choose to reject Jesus? Why did the majority, why, why were they rejecting him then? Why does the, really the majority even reject him now in the society that we live, in the world that we live, I should say? Well, what we're about to see in answering the question, why did the people choose to reject Jesus? The three points that we're going to make here, even today, the following answers that we're going to give are still true of why people reject Jesus. First of all, Jesus claimed to be God. And it made the religious leaders mad. Jesus claimed to be God. So you're in Matthew 27. I want us to back up to, verse, uh, to chapter 26, verse uh, 59. So you may not even have to turn your page. But let's look at um, the leading priest and the entire high council were trying to find witnesses who would lie about Jesus. They were not happy with Jesus, were they? Let's see if we can find somebody who's going to lie against him so that they could put him to death. Verse 60, but even though they found... Many who agreed to give false witness, they could not use anyone's testimony. Finally, two men came forward who declared, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. All of a sudden, Jesus is starting to make some pretty strong claims here. He wasn't referring to the honored temple that they were worshiping in there in Jerusalem. He was referring to himself. You destroy this temple and in three days it will be rebuilt. What was he talking about? When he was killed, when he was crucified, dead, and then he, he was raised on the third day. This claim made the religious leaders want to kill Jesus. Now, the claim that he was making was for alarm, but maybe not necessarily something that they could have killed him over. We have people today who claim to be Jesus. They, they do. People who, I, I mean, you've heard me say I like to watch live PD. It's one of those police shows. And, you know, they'll get some people who are really messed up on some stuff. And even recently, I've heard them not making serious claims. They're, they're really, I don't know what's going on with them. But they're claiming to be the Messiah. This is just recently. There are even folks who claim who have a big following, you know, in other nations. So, but why was Jesus any different? The leaders knew that Jesus wasn't another crazy man because he had authority. They had seen him perform the miracles. And he had a following, a pretty big following as well. 
So let's go to verse 26. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus replied, You have said it. And in the future you will see the Son of Man seating in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. There's the claim. Now all of a sudden he is confessing this and it's making them angry. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, Blasphemy, what other witnesses do we need? You have uh, all heard the blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they shouted. He deserves to die. So here's Jesus claiming to be God, and they're ready to kill him. Same today. Jesus claims to be God, and so many people are rejecting the fact that, you know what, maybe he was a historical historical figure, Uh, He was a great teacher. We know that he was there. Some people believe that he never existed at all. Um, But being God's son that Jesus made was very bold. It was blasphemy. And that's why the high priest reacted the way he did. How many of you have heard of C.S. Lewis? He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. Maybe you're more familiar because that movie just came out again not too long ago. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. uh, That He wrote wrote several of those. And basically it's the gospel story written in creative ways that that can tell the gospel to children. Here's a quote by C.S. Lewis. He was a theologian and an author. He said, Either this man, Jesus, was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. Those are the options. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he never intended to. He is God. That is who he is. And mob rule cannot change that. The fact that he is God. Now, within our own hearts, we can say he's not, can't we? But the reality is, he is God. So that's what Jesus was facing, some of the rejection. He claimed to be God. Let's look at a couple places where he claims to be divine, okay? Now, you're going to have a screen if you want to do that, um, you know, and look at it later so you can write these scriptures down, take out your phone and and take a quick picture. Even Mr. Stowe's phone will do that. Um, It will. He's showing me that. So Jesus claims many times to be divine. John 5, 17, but Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. John 8, 58, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth before Abraham was even born, I am. That's a claim to be God at that moment. John 14, 9, Jesus replied, I have been with you. Have I been with you all this time, Philip? And yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak are not my own, but my Father who who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. So this is Jesus. He is making claims. Even if it's just because of the miracles that you see, he said, you have to believe that I'm God. But people rejected him anyway. So the question for us today, what will you do with Jesus' claims that he is God? 
We see this in Matthew 16. So if you want to write down Matthew 16, verse 13 through 16, um, Jesus personalized. Do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus had these claims that he was making. And he was asking the people, he's asking us today, who do you say that I am? Do you say that he's the son of the living God? Do you say that he is God? That's what he's asking. Where do you stand on this? Is Jesus the son of God who came to this earth in human form, as it talks about in Colossians? For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. Pretty bold claims. So if Jesus is going to make a claim, let's look at the evidence real quickly. There's evidence that's here. First of all, we see Jesus fulfilled prophecies, uh, Luke 24, 44. Again, I know I've got a lot of scripture today, so just you know, write it down, hang on to this. Luke 24, 44. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So if I'm going to claim these things, I'm going to give you evidence as well. I'm going to show you that I am the Son of God. Now, here's how he did this. He went back to the Old Testament. There are 400 400 prophecies in the Old Testament. Do you know how many of those Jesus fulfilled? 400 of them. 400 prophecies written hundreds of years earlier. There's scripture to support where Jesus fulfilled those. Now, we don't have time to go through all 400 of those in this few minutes that I have here. But let me show you a couple things. The virgin birth in Bethlehem, Jesus couldn't determine where he was born. His parents had to do that, right? Ultimately, God did. But Jesus couldn't say, you know, from inside the womb, hey, by the way, you know, I can just, I can uh, see Jackson and Wyatt. Hey, by the way, mom, can we go to that cool Charlotte hospital, be born? No, kids can't do that, can they? But prophecy foretold, that's where Jesus was born. Crucified with robbers, Jesus couldn't set that up. Buried in the tomb of a rich man. All these prophecies. Let me ask you this. Let's be honest. Could some of the fulfillments have been staged? Sure, some of them, but not all of them. Not all of the prophecies could have been staged. Not all 400. Because Jesus could not determine where he would be born. His betrayal for 30 pieces of, pieces of silver. He couldn't go to the religious leaders and say, Hey, um, a guy of mine's about to come to you. I want you to sell me for 30 pieces of silver and then you can kill me. You know, I mean, who, who, who would do that? Strange. Guys, I'm going to be crucified here in about a week. And it would be great if when I'm up on the cross, if you will just take my outer garment and, and you guys gamble for that. That's, I'm being facetious, but that's truth that's in there. Jesus could not have, that, that could not have been staged. Here's another question. Could some of the fulfillments, some of the 400 fulfillments, um, been coincidence that Jesus fulfilled? Sure. Some of them could have been just mere coincidence, but not all of them. There is a guy, and I called uh, one of our resident uh, numbers geeks here. Brandon, he's at first service normally. He's just like a numbers geek. Who are, how many of you are my numbers geeks in here? You're like, man, I just love math and science. Rachel, you know, some of you are. So bear with me, Miss Pam, numbers geeks. If you're not a numbers geek, I'll get to you in just a moment, but you're going to probably think this is pretty cool too. So, so let's look at this just for a moment. This study 
by Peter Stolner. He's a science professor. He took 600 students from his college and showed uh, what it would be like for Jesus to fulfill just 48 of the 400 prophecies. Now, I'm not a lottery player, okay? However, if you win, tithe. That's I just... Right? Um, if you know that you have a one and two chance, trying to, I, I couldn't think of another way to show the odds of something happening. So that's why I'm coming with this. So don't hear that as a condoning. But if you have a one and two chance of something happening, then, you know, you're going to take those odds. But let's look at the odds of Jesus fulfilling 48 of the 400 prophecies. What in a one and it wasn't a 50-50 shot. It wasn't even a one in a thousand shot. Look at that number. Look at a thousand. It wasn't even a one in a thousand shot of Jesus just fulfilling these prophecies. It wasn't one in 10,000 shot of Jesus fulfilling these prophecies. It wasn't even a one in a million shot of Jesus fulfilling just 48. So the chances of Jesus fulfilling only 48 of the 400 prophecies was, hold on before you put it up, was 1 in 10 to the 157th power. So numbers geeks, you're like, that's a big number. Everybody else, you're like, what? This is what that number looks like. That was what a college professor, along with 600 students, when they went through, did all the odds of Jesus fulfilling only 48 of the 400 prophecies. Could you imagine how big that number would be if they would figure out all 400 prophecies? So if you want scientific fact, if you want some numbers to go along with that, these hundreds of years later, Jesus will fulfill them as it's recording in the new, recorded in the New Testament. Chance, coincidence, just something to submit, something to make you think about. I'm just, I'm just encouraging your faith today even. So... Jesus fulfilled prophecies. That's an evidence. Another evidence, his uncompromised character. 1 Peter 2.22 says that he never sinned nor deceived anyone. You ever met anybody like that? I haven't, other than Jesus. His miraculous power. This is another evidence. Jesus replied, I've already told you and you don't believe me. The proof is in the work that I do in my Father's name. You know this, Jesus still does the miraculous today does anybody believe that? Yes. Amen. He still does the miraculous today. We just celebrated Ella Kate's third birthday. She had a 24-hour expectation, if that, life expectation. Every breath. Every breath. She's back there preaching right now. We're thankful for that. God still does the miraculous today. His verifi verifiable resurrection, Acts 2.32, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses Jesus after he was crucified and after he resurrected. He's talking about all the witnesses. His faithful followers, most of, most of them died because of their belief in Jesus as the Son of God. I want to ask you this question. Do you believe that Jesus died upon the cross? For you. His followers were willing to die for Jesus. Let me ask you an honest question and you give me an honest answer. 
How many of you would be willing to die for someone like me? I'm glad no hands went up. That would be scary. And literally, that would be scary. I'm not the Son of God. You're not the Son of God. Jesus was the Son of God. And here's the reason that I bring this up. These men so believed in Jesus that they were willing to die for him. They saw the miracles. Now, we know there's been crazy people out there who've done this as well, right? But there were so many people who were willing. The original 12, um, or the 12 disciples that were there, I think all except for John, were martyred, meaning they were killed horrible. They were, they were killed in horrible ways. So let me ask you this. How many of you, and answer this in your heart, because this is... This, some of you, this, this may be presented to you the first time for this. Others, you may have heard it before. How many of you would be willing to die for Jesus? Yeah. This very day, there's a magazine in the back, right, Dean? The Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, you can pick up a copy. Dean has several that are back there on our missions table. There are people who are dying for the gospel today. Has Jesus made that much of an impact in your life that you're willing to say? Why do they die for him? Because people are coming to them and say, reject Jesus, reject the gospel, or die. Because your gospel is not what we agree with. Reject Jesus or die. You know what they're, the choice that they're making? Then I will not reject Jesus. Revelation talks a lot about this, by the way. I don't want to scare anybody, right? But... The reality is, it could happen. It could happen. We were talking first service that just three years ago, I mean, we're going on a fun trip. Well, yeah, it's a fun trip to Jamaica. We get to be with our Foursquare family down there. You know, three years ago, two missionaries died? In Jamaica. So here's, here's the question. Is Jesus so real to us that we're willing to die for him? And if not... What is it going to take for us to believe that Jesus gave up his all for me and that I should be willing to do the same? Number two, spiritual kingdom. That's John 18, 36. Told the first service this too. If you're waiting on salvation to come from the Republican Party, you're going to be waiting a while. If you're waiting on salvation to come from the Democrat Party, you're going to be waiting a while. Independence, anybody. Let's not put our hope in a political leader. They're not going to save us as much as they even talk about how much they love Jesus or love God or whatever. And I'm not just talking about our current president. I'm talking about local to national to world leaders. Jesus didn't come for that. Now, do we pray for them? Absolutely. But we're not getting into that part of the sermon. I'm just... Jesus didn't fit what they wanted. They wanted a political leader. He didn't keep their religious traditions. In other words, Jesus healed on the Sabbath. He didn't ceremonially wash his hands, all these things. He associated with the wrong group of people. He associated with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus came about saying things like, well, the first shall be the last and the last shall be the first. He threatened the religious leader's authority. So he didn't fit what they wanted. He didn't do it. He claimed to be God. And finally, Jesus demanded life change. This is a big one. So I want us you know, to come back all of a sudden. You know, let's, just, let's just come back here. Jesus demands life change. And if you don't hear anything, this is the part that I want us to hear. It's true that Jesus freely offers grace and forgiveness. Praise God for our salvation. We cannot do enough good deeds to make Jesus love us anymore. 
However, he also requires complete surrender to himself. If you want to turn with, to, with me to John chapter 8, we're going to see a story about this. Jesus freely offers grace and forgiveness. He also requires complete surrender to himself. Let me tell you while we're turning here what this gospel is not. The gospel of, uh, man, the gospel is so amazing. It has set us free. It has saved us. It has allowed us relationship with the Father. We enjoy the blessings of God, and I'm so thankful for that. Uh, you know, the Word talks about how you delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you those desires to, to please Him and, and, and all of these things. But, but the reality also is that Jesus says to take up your cross and follow me. We're going to talk about this a lot in this Easter series where Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me because it's not a popular gospel. I want to know that my life from this point forward on earth is going to be smooth sailing. God's going to take care of everything that, you know, birds are singing every morning and the rose petals are falling from the ceiling. I mean, just, you know, but here's the reality. Jesus said things like this. If you want to find your life, you have to give up your life. Well, great, so life's going to be miserable. Absolutely not, because you will find life when you give up your life. When we commit our life to following the Savior of the world, He demands life change. So Jesus is teaching at the temple when some religious leaders brought a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. It's interesting they brought her to Jesus, right? I mean, they didn't like Jesus, but like, all right, so what are you going to do, big guy? What are you going to do, son of God? Kind of mocking. Let's look at what Jesus does. John chapter 8, verse 4. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They're ready for death. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Now, we use this scripture inappropriately at sometimes. We'll say, Well, I know I got this sin in my life, but uh, throw the first stone if you don't have sin. And we can use that as a way to continue in our sin. That's not what this scripture is saying. I cannot use this scripture to say, well, you have sin, I have my own sin. And then another popular opinion is, well, God is my judge, not you. I should strike fear into our hearts. <laughs> if God is our judge, yeah, absolutely. But let's keep going here, okay? But he did expect change. Verse 9, when the accusers heard this, you know, throw the first stone if you haven't sinned, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman because he was without sin. Um, Jesus, uh, then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. Look at Jesus' response. Neither do I. What does it say right after that? Go and sin no more. There was an expectation that she would not continue in that sin. Church, we are saved. If you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we are saved. God loves us. He doesn't condemn us. But there's an expectation. Go and sin no more. We've said this before, if this is the path of sin that I'm walking toward, I'm pursuing sin actively. Repentance is what? It's turning around and going the other way. 
I'm going and sinning no more. I'm no longer actively pursuing that sin. We sin from time to time. I mean, there's this, this the human nature. Temptations will come. We want to sin less, right? But it's that whole idea of pursuing the sin. There's an expectation that Jesus made with this scripture. Yes, you are saved. I do not condemn you. But stop. Why is that? Because we want our lives to be a glory and an honor to Jesus. So Lord, may your gospel truly work in my heart to show me those areas where I am sinning. Grace is given, change is expected. Following Jesus will require a change in lifestyle. When you give up your life, you will find it. Do we receive forgiveness and just keep on sinning? That is rejecting his standard of holiness. Lisa's going to come on up, and I want us just to have a, a moment where we're, we're reflecting as we're dismissing. I don't want to, Jesus, I don't want to reject your standard of holiness anymore. Point out those areas of my life where I am pursuing sin, in essence, rejecting you, rejecting the work of the cross. Here's what Jesus knows. Rejection hurts. Jesus faced it, and he still faces it today, and I don't want my life of sin to be another sign of rejecting him, another action of rejecting him. The cross is the ultimate symbol of being chosen. Some of you need to hear this. God has not rejected you because he died on the cross and it's the ultimate symbol of being chosen. In fact, through Jesus, the Father accepts and welcomes you. Scripture tells us that we love me and I love him in return and I want to follow after him. What will you do with Jesus? Can we stand?